0: it's here. Are you ready? Are you ready? To Adrian Campus, we say Merry Christmas to you. To those of you gathered in Lewisburg today, Merry Christmas to you. And the Garden City, Merry Christmas. I love this time of year. I, I can't say Merry Christmas enough. I absolutely love it. And I know people gripe all the time. It's like, oh, people are missing the whole point. Then don't miss the point. You know what I'm saying? Just just choose to stay centered on the point, and when you do, there are just so many little things I think that become fun. For example, I even like the whole Christmas card thing. I do, especially when the Christmas cards have family photos on them. I like that part. And I think why I, the most is because a lot of times it's people that you don't necessarily get to see all during the year, and when that Christmas card arrives and it has that family photo on it, all of a sudden you're like, wow, those kids are growing up, right? Or look at Frank, he, he hasn't had hair in 40 years, and he's 60, and God's given him hair all of a sudden, right? You just never know what you're going to see in the family picture. If you're the one producing the picture, though, you know it can be work, I mean, depending on. Uh, the year, depending on how old the family is, it's got to be perfect for everyone. The smiles, the eyes, the lighting, the setting, the clothing. So when I see a good one, I know there's probably been some work that went into this thing. But also, fortunately, every once in a while, for whatever reason, people will post photos that did not pass the perfect test, purely for our enjoyment, right? And so, just a quick Google, right, a quick search for awkward family Christmas photos, and here's the kind of joy that you can suddenly find. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you, when I see this picture, my first thought is, what did that dad do (laughs) that he felt like he couldn't say no? You know what I'm saying? What'd he do? Speaking of saying no, somebody should have said no. Dad should have said no. Mom should have said no. Come on, man. Right? Or how about this one, <laughs> joyful, joyful, we adore thee. That's kind of, that's what comes to my mind. Let's keep rolling. I'm just going to say this, if you don't think there's anything wrong with that picture, Our Christmas gift to you today is there are counselors available. (laughs) Counselors available, no cost to you. Right now, you can head toward the back, and they will be available. Let's keep going. (laughs) Okay, apparently-I'm reading between the lines-apparently this family took this photo, and between the time they took the photo and it gets sent out, apparently, I'm guessing, son breaks up with fiance. You know what I'm saying? But let's just put a sticker on her face, because who wants to to, to get rid of a good family photo, right? Or or parents are like, we're not paying for another photo, so whatever you want to do. And then this one, this one's just because this is how it is sometimes. If you've ever tried to produce the family photo for Christmas, it's like this is sometimes where it can end. But there is one Christmas family photo that is truly picture perfect. But I hope you realize that it's not picture perfect because of the lighting. I mean, this is just a cool picture, but come on, there's no electricity. It's not picture perfect because of the setting, although we often paint the picture to be very glamorous at times, but it, it was not the cleanest setting, not the quietest setting, not the most comfortable setting. That's not what made it perfect. But it was perfect, and here's how I know why. Check out the book of Galatians chapter 4, perhaps an interesting place to read something about the Christmas story, but this is what we read in Galatians chapter 4 in verses 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. I want you to back up and take a look at that first line, when the set time had finally come. It is this imagery of of when everything came together, it's kind of like that perfect family photo, when the lighting's right and everybody's looking in the right direction. All the elements come together. When the timing is perfect, when everything is fulfilled, that that this is the moment, it says God declared, this is the right time. I have found myself trying to imagine this week what it was like in the heavenlies when God turns to all of the heavenly host and just simply declares, it's time. How cool of a moment would that have been in heaven? God says, it's time. By the way, he's going to say that again one of these days. The first coming of Jesus reminds us there's another time that he's coming, and one of these days God's going to again say, it's time, but even from an earthly perspective, we can look around and historians have done so and really point out that there were at least four factors that make the first century just the right time for Jesus to be born. So I wanna give you a few of those today. You've got an outline, I encourage you to use it. Grab a pen, grab a pencil, write some things down. It'll help you remember a few things that, that maybe God wants you to see today. One factor in why it was the perfect time is what we're calling the universal Greek language for communication. Universal Greek language for communication. In about 336 BC, a guy by the name of Philip of Macedon was assassinated in ancient Greece. And when that happened, his son, whom you know as Alexander the Great who was being tutored by the philosopher Aristotle, he comes to power. And when, and when Alexander comes to power, he takes Philip's powerful army, and he just begins to sweep across the, the known world at the time. In his travels, you will see, he, he conquers Egypt, he conquers Egypt, and then really swings all the way to India. An enormous amount of geographical territory, he established when doing this some 19 major Greek cities, most of which he named after himself. So if you've ever wondered why are there so many Alexandrias in the world, this is why. So here's what it means. In this world, if you want to learn, you want to pursue education, guess what you had to learn. Greek. Here's a bigger one. If you want to make money, that's what moves people's hearts at times, guess what you had to learn? You had to learn Greek. It's kind of like, in some cases, what English is in, in, in much of the world today. Well, how does this affect Christianity? Here's how it affects it. Eventually. Right? God's Word, the Bible, the good news of who Jesus is, is going to need to be translated into literally thousands of languages so that each people group can understand who Jesus is. And you know what? That's still going on today. We are still translating the Bible into languages of people groups. Even for us, we have experienced this with a people group in in Togo in West Africa. But the point is, when Christianity is born, never before had there been such a gigantic geographical area where everybody could speak the same language, and therefore, it just enabled the message to move fast. There's another factor. The second factor are what we call Roman roads for travel. Roman roads for travel. When Alexander was no longer on the scene, the army that rose up after him was the Roman army. And the Roman army and their military really began to expand the boundaries of the Roman Empire farther than Alexander ever did. And because the Romans did something better than the Greeks, build roads, they were able to build just this massive, expansive road system. And it allowed them to deploy and to supply their troops quicker, easier, than anybody had ever been been able to do before. Well, so how does this affect Christianity? Well, all of a sudden, just like being able to speak a common language where that barrier doesn't exist, all of a sudden now people are able to travel these roads, if you actually take The Apostle Paul's route, where he planted so many churches, and you lay it over the top of this thing, you you see he was able to move at an incredible pace, in part because he just got to use the roads that the Romans built for him. Perfect time. Perfect time. The third factor is what we call the Pax Romana. Pax Romana, which really means peace. It just means peace. And basically what this is, is there's a period of time, about 200 years, from 27 BC, so before Jesus' birth, to about 180 AD, there's about 200 straight years where there are no major wars. Well, why is that important? Well it's important because, come on, think about today trying to start a church in Syria. Think about today trying to start a church in Iraq. But the incredible blessing for the early church was that when they received this good news of Jesus, now were they going to face persecution? Yes. Were they going to be imprisoned? Were they going to be tortured at times? Yes, but it's because people were rejecting the good news of Jesus, not because there was territories where wars were happening and therefore they could not access those territories. Because there was peace for some 200 years, it enabled the good news of Jesus to move quickly. And then there's one more factor, and that's the factor of the Jewish expectation of the Messiah. The Jews' expectation of a Messiah who would come for the purpose of overthrowing these Romans who are oppressing us. That's what they thought. The Romans who were ruling over them, that they're expecting some king is going to come, he's going to throw the Romans out, he's going to reestablish a Jewish rule, and Israel will be powerful among the nations. When we read about Jesus being taken to the temple for his dedication, when we read about that as a part of the Christmas story, there are two people that Mary and Joseph and Jesus run into when they go to the temple, two people who every day would show up at the temple asking God for the Messiah who would get rid of the Romans. One of them was a man by the name of Simeon. And the other was an 84-year-old lady named Anna. And we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, that when Mary and Joseph and Jesus arrived there at the temple, Anna comes up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What does that mean? She's just simply referring to the fact that that all of these Jewish people, that they were looking forward to this king who was going to come, and she's going, this is him. This is him. Jerusalem, Israel, is under the Roman rule, and they're looking for a king who would come and pay the price that they might be set free from the Romans to know true freedom Again. Can I tell you that I think when Anna used the word redemption, I mean, incredible moment here. She knows this is Jesus. She knows this is the Messiah. But oh, she had no idea yet what redemption would be all about. A Greek language, Roman roads, 200 years of peace an expectation of a Messiah. I'm telling, when you put all that together and it truly is picture perfect, do I think all that happened by coincidence? No. I think it is the picture of the God who is sovereign over all. It is the picture of the God who wanted this good news to move across the whole world, that eventually, you and I would know how He loves us. See that's why it matters to us now. We go, that was a really cool, that's a really cool history lesson, right? Really cool to know that's how it was, but how how does that affect us? Well it it does, even today, and and that's really what the rest of this text is about, and that's what I want you to see today. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, and I want you to, to, to pay attention to the rest of that text. Here's what it says, but when the set time had fully come, when it was picture perfect, God sent His Son, born of a woman. Now, I want to make sure that we understand something here today. And maybe for some of us, this is is going to be something new, but it it is a part of what we need to understand and what God is doing for us in His Son. The Son of God did not start with a birth in Bethlehem. The Son of God did not start with a birth in Bethlehem. The truth is, the Son of God never started, because the Son of God has no start. We're talking about God who always has been and always will be. He's got no start date, and He's got no end date. And so when we talk about the Son of God, God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, He didn't start in Bethlehem. Colossians says that all things were created through him and for him. It says that he holds all things together. The Son always has been, and he has always been God. But at Bethlehem, he put on skin. And it's a doctrine that's called the incarnation. It means he is fully God and he is fully man. Fully God and fully man. Now I think lots of times when people hear that they go, Jesus, he was half God and he was half man. No. He's not a motor, right? That's not the picture. He's not half God and half man. He is fully God, and He is fully man. He is one person, but two, full, and complete nature. He didn't didn't stop being God. He didn't even give up any part of His divinity. He remained fully who He was as God, and He became what He was not, human. By the way, He's still fully God, and still fully human. You know that? And when we get to see him one day, he, he's got a body. You know that? He, he resurrects with, a, with a, a body, and one of these days we get to see Jesus. One of these days we, we literally, we, we get to be, he's fully God, he is fully man. You say, well, what difference does that really make? Here's the difference that it makes. Jesus is fully God to overpower sin, and Jesus is fully man to take the sinner's place. He's fully God, so He is stronger than the power of sin and of death. He's bigger. He's God. But the fact that He is fully man means that He is qualified to actually be what's called our substitute. Let's keep reading. I'll show you what I mean. Back to verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, it's picture perfect, God sent His Son, born of a woman, fully God, fully man, born under the law to redeem those under the law. What does that mean? Well, when we talk about the law, we're talking about God's Word given to us, God's Word that tells us here's what's right, here's what's wrong. In other words, the Bible tells us that one of the purposes of the law is to define sin. It tells us what's right and wrong. One of the purposes of the law is to clarify that when you and I sin, we're just not like doing something that hurts each other, but because God is the one who establishes the law, He's the one who determines what is right and wrong. When we don't do what's right, we're actually rebelling against God. The law shows us that. The law shows us that none of us can keep all of it, right? I, I, I can't keep all of that. You haven't kept all of that. The law reveals that we all fall short of God's greatness and that the result of that is sin and death, spiritual death separated from God and physical death. The law even can show us that it might can tell us what's right and wrong, but it can't save us, it can't rescue us. When Jesus steps onto the planet puts on skin, and he operates under the law, and he is faithful to the law. And just like he always has, he continues to be. He, he is holy. He is completely perfect. He is righteous. He never—he doesn't hurt others. He, he is not selfish. There is no sin in him. Jesus is perfectly innocent. But he chose to take my sin, and he chose to take your sin upon himself, and he became a substitute. One who stood in our place. I should have faced death because of my sin. You should have faced death because of your sin. But Jesus said, Look, I'm gonna take your sin, Jeff, and it's gonna be just as though I did all the stuff that you've actually done. So come on, I just want you to imagine just this room. Because you know the stuff you've done, you don't have to tell us. I know the stuff I've done, I'm not gonna tell you all of it. He knows it all. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we put all of that together in this room today, think about all the brokenness, think about all the guilt, think about all the hurt, think about all those decisions, Jesus takes that upon Himself, and it is as though He did it. When the Father looked at Him, it was as though Jesus had done all those things wrong, even though it was you and I that did those things wrong. How could he do that? Because he was fully God and he was fully man, and he knows what it is to deal with everything we ever deal with, every temptation, every pressure, every hurt. He knows what it is to deal with it all, and yet he walked through it perfectly so that he could take on himself everything that we have not done perfectly. Romans chapter 8 says that what the law could not do, God did in the sending of his son. Do you hear me? The law cannot forgive you and me, but Jesus can. The law cannot break the curse of sin and death on our life, but Jesus can. The law cannot save us, but Jesus does. And it is a beautiful exchange where our sins he takes, and his perfection, he gives to us. You say, well, dude, you're not perfect. I know, but when God the Father looks at me, you know what he sees? Perfect. He sees the perfection of his Son Why? Because Jeff's pulled off perfect? No. Tons of stuff I've messed up on, tons of mistakes that I've made, but in a beautiful exchange that Jesus and I have been- he took my sin, he gives me his perfection, and now when God looks at me, he sees forgiven, he sees perfect. The text here says he did that by redeeming us. Make sure you write this down, Jesus is the ransom for our freedom from sin and its punishment. Jesus is the ransom for our freedom from sin and its punishment. Remember what Anna said? She was waiting for a Messiah who would come to redeem Israel, to to redeem Jerusalem. These Romans own us and we don't want to be under their control anymore. We want a king to come and bring us back to freedom. Well, what she didn't understand is there was a bigger reason that the king was coming, because bigger than Roman rule is sin's rule. And the truth is that every one of us who have ever sinned, we are slaves to sin. We are owned by sin. But Jesus comes to pay the price, and he buys us back to know freedom in him. For what purpose? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. One more phrase, but when the set time had fully come, picture perfect, God sent His Son born of a woman, fully God, fully man, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. One more blank I want you to fill in today. Jesus makes possible our adoption as children of God. Jesus makes possible our adoption as children of God. Do you get the fact that God says to you, I want you in my family, I want you to be my child." Now this is not popular news, but you need to know that when you and I are born physically, we are not born into God's family. When sin entered this world, sin's effect entered this world. We we are not automatically in God's family. Our home is this world's system, and we we are captive to sin. But God displayed His greatness, His love and His grace toward us that He gives us life through Jesus, takes our sin, gives us His righteousness, and says, I want to adopt you. I personally think adoption is just incredibly beautiful. But I tell people, it doesn't start beautiful. Because the reason adoption exists is because of brokenness. Why do children need to be adopted? Because some's broken. There's a parental something has happened. Either parents have died, something's broken. Or parents have abandoned, something's broken. Or parents have abused, something's broken. My my point is, adoption always comes out of something that is not good. And it's the same way for us. It's the same way for us. But adoption involves a choice that says, you didn't start as mine, but I want you to be mine, I gotcha, I gotcha. My family celebrates a gotcha day, we do. We celebrate a gotcha day, it is August the 25th. You see, about 10 years ago, My wife and I went on a mission trip. And on that mission trip, we visited an orphanage. And in that orphanage, we held a little boy who was 10 days old. And when we left the orphanage that day, (laughs) I'm the one who prayed God, will you give him a family? who will love him out of their love for you." And almost exactly one year later, I walked back into that orphanage. I put my arms around my son, and I promised him that as long as both of us were alive, I would never let him go. I gotcha." This is not like a gotcha like I scare you into this, right? Because sometimes that's what gotcha is, it's I scared you, right? This, this is not a, a gotcha like I manipulated you into where, where I want you to be. Th- this is a heart gotcha. This is a I love you and you are finally mine, and my question today is, do you understand that? is what God wants for you. That's what he wants for every single one of us. Oh, he is fully aware of the brokenness in our lives. He is, to to the point that we often think, I know my brokenness, who would ever want me? I, I know my brokenness, sometimes I don't even want me. Look, I I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you've done. I'm going to say, yes, it matters, and the reason that it matters is because it's hurt in your life. The things that you've done and the places that you've been, there there is hurt that can be in your life, But, but it doesn't matter in this way. Can I tell you that Jesus is not scared of any of that? He's not afraid of any of it. He just wants to know, would you give him the incredible load that you've been carrying your whole life, the hurt, the guilt, the regret, the pressure of it all, and if you do. You will find him arms around you, the promise being as long as he lives, which is good news because I already told you there is no start date and there is no end date. He will never let you go, gotcha. I'm just going to tell you today. I chose not to bring a lot of flashy stuff to you today because I believe with all my heart that just like it was not a coincidence, at the moment that God sent His Son, I also don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today. And you know what, you might would say, three years ago, I wouldn't be ready. i believe you. You might would say to me three months ago, I wouldn't be ready. I'd believe you, but it's not going to shock me at all if you would say, but you know what? I think today's the day. Some of you, I, I believe this today, uh, uh, there's something that you feel inside, there is this this pumping of your chest, and I'm telling you, that is is often God, And, and He's saying, I love you, and He's saying, I want you, and I'm saying, this is the perfect time for you to turn to Him. This is the perfect time for you to trust Him. This is the perfect time to know what it means to be in His family and to start doing life His way. And so, if that's what you're thinking right now. If that's what you're considering right now, you know what, I I am done trying to do this on my own. I am tired of trying to do this on my own. And I have looked everywhere that I know to look. But on this day, Jesus, I want to come to you. And I'm coming to you, you said it with everything, and you need to know that means my fears, that means my doubts, but I'm bringing dreams, I'm bringing it all, and I want to give myself completely to you. And look, you, this, this might be the first time that you have ever set foot in a church, or this might be... You've been to church, actually, more times than you can count, but you know that you and God have not been close in a long, long time. I'm not going to ask you to do anything in the sense of I'm I'm not going to call you out, not going to ask any questions, I'm not. But I also want you to understand that Jesus did not die on a cross and spend three days dead in a tomb because he is interested in a secret relationship with you. He's not. He has been incredibly bold, knowing everything about you, everything, to say, I love you and I want you. And so, I'm convinced, you know what? It is important to realize that you're going to spend the rest of your life, should you turn to Him, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning more about who He is and growing in this relationship with Him, but I'm telling you, it starts with a bold declaration from your heart that you want Him. And so, I'm going to call us to a little something different today, but my word, compared to a death on a cross and a resurrection. I don't know, this is a pretty simple move of boldness. So whether you are at Adrian today, whether you are at Lewisburg today, um, whether you are online watching with us today, whether you're here at Garden City, wherever you may be, the truth is that we can't see what's happening in those places, and those places can't see what's happening in this room. The fact is, we can't even see what's happening across the globe on a day like today, because what I'm about to say to you is going to happen all over the globe today. People are going to turn their hearts toward Jesus. It's going to happen. So what I want to invite to happen in the next few seconds is, church, I want us to celebrate this next moment for what it really is, when it is the greatest moment in a person's life ever, when they lay down their own and turn to Jesus to say, I want you. Jesus, I am tired of living for me, I'm tired of doing this on my own, I'm turning to you. I'm giving you my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my failures, I'm coming to you by faith. And so what I'm going to ask in just a few seconds is that for those of you who, again, maybe this is your first time ever in church, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call on you, I'm not going to ask you a hard question, I'm not. This is just your declaration that you're ready to follow Jesus. And for those of you who may have been to church more times than you can count, but you and I both know you may have the title, but you have not been following Him. In just a second, I'm going to count to three, and I'm just encouraging the church to celebrate. Not just hands that may raise in this room, but hands that may raise at at other campuses that we have, but definitely hands that are going to raise across the globe today. But for those of you who need to follow him, let this be your first moment, your first bold step to just lift a hand toward heaven and thank Him for life. You ready? Let the church celebrate. Three, two, one. Who needs it? Praise Him. Come on. It's the biggest decision anybody ever makes in their life. ask you to bow your heads with me. And I'm inviting those of you who are making that decision today to pray along with me. It's not about magic words. This is not like the secret prayer that gets you in. It's not about checking a box that says you prayed a prayer one time. It's about your heart that calls out to Jesus in faith so, as I pray this prayer in just a second, I'm inviting you to join me from your heart. You can pray it to him and know that he hears you. Let's pray. Jesus, you gave up everything for me. You died so that I could live. Today, I want to give everything to you. I give you my life, all of it. I give you my fears, my doubts, my future, and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your presence, your spirit, you take over my life. Change me with your love. I want to belong to you. This is my prayer, in Jesus' name. Can we praise him one more time?